Alfred Tennyson once said, It is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. In God's world, it is better to be broken and fixed than never to have been broken at all. Our culture does not like broken things. It chews up people and spits them out. It spits them out when they no longer work right or work according to our liking. We buy new things instead of fix them. People throw away broken marriages. Christians give up on the homeless, the Democrat, or the homosexual. Some of us sitting here today have even given up on ourselves for a time because we have seen the depth of our brokenness. On the other side of things, we fall into the temptation of thinking because of our great salvation we are no longer broken people. However, if we don't think we are broken people, we need to be broken. And if we think we are broken, that is right where we need to be because Christ will work to make something new out of us and our lives will not be broken in the end. Humans in our sinful condition on this earth need redemption, reconciliation, restoration, and the blessing of God. It really is kind of like an old photo that needs fixing. We may have been tempted to throw it out as useless, but something about the process is valuable to our experience. Without this kind of brokenness, the end product would not be as amazing and would not display the skill of whoever is restoring it. Instead, if we think we aren't like the beginning of this photo and don't need fixing, then we miss the point of God's work and desire for us. As the photo becomes clearer and clearer, we realize the joy the maker takes in fixing the broken areas and places of the picture and how silly the original really looked. Do we love fixing brokenness and leading others to reconciliation and spiritual growth? Or do we refuse to see the value in the broken photo and not confess with our God that it does really need fixing? Where do we stand on this issue of brokenness today? So the topic for today is fixing broken things. A lot like an old photo, broken things are valuable to the Lord. Now, the message today is about fixing broken things. But of all Father's Days that have been in my life, I would not forget that today is Father's Day. God has blessed us with a son growing in my wife right now. And many of you are fathers or sons or daughters. Many messages today are going to focus on a duty-based ethic for our lives as fathers. They're going to tell you to improve your fatherhooding or improve your sonning, tell you to be a better person. Fathers will probably be told that they have done an okay job, but they just need to try harder, to read the Bible more, to see how good of a father they can be, and to forget the past and focus on the future and doing a better job than they've done already. There is immense church culture pressure. Let me say that again. There is immense church culture pressure to have good children and to be the model family. But I can tell you right now, maybe not from the fathering side of things, because my son has not even yet been born. But I can tell you right now from the son side of things that we will all fail. You cannot keep all the commandments of scripture all of the time. If you did, you would be God. And if you think you do, 
You've made an idol of yourself. Isn't that right? So you're caught either way. See, we will become angry and we'll lash out, maybe physically. Maybe some of you have done that or had that happen to you. Definitely verbally. We will fail when it matters the most. And we will hurt those we love the most sometimes. However, the joy of fatherhood and being children for us as believers comes rather from loving Christ and seeing Him work in the middle of our junk. That's a pretty uh, modern term. Our brokenness would be another good word for that. Seeing God work in the middle of our brokenness in our families. We know that children rebel and that we as fathers will fail. The good news today, the gospel that comes from the passage we're going to look at is that God loves, God delights in fixing broken homes, in fixing broken people. And each one of us, to some extent or another, is a broken person. Christ offers to us today a new way of thinking. Instead of lamenting about our situation, He offers to us reconciliation, a new relationship, a changed relationship. He redeems people. He fixes broken marriages and offers joy in the midst of our trouble. See, it's kind of like that old photo, right? He doesn't throw it away. Instead, like that digital one, He fixes it. And His joy is in making that old photo into an HD version of itself. That's like us, brothers and sisters. We need to be changed by Christ, reconciled to one another. With this idea of fixing broken things, brothers and sisters, let's open our Bible to the book of Philemon. We'll begin in verse 4. Philemon, starting in verse 4. I'll give you a second to rummage through your Bible. It's after, by Hebrews, Philemon Hebrews. I actually hear pages. Pretty amazing. That gives me a little clue into the age of the congregation. I love you all. I love you all. That's not a, not a put down. <laughs> Philemon, verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from you, from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve on my behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Not, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, 
both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Another way to read that last verse would be, Let me have joy. Refresh my heart in Christ. You know, as we think about this broken picture, I'd like you to keep that in your mind as we're going. Because the picture that we see in the background of this book is broken. Let's just be clear about this. Philemon is a slave owner. Onesimus is a slave. And slavery in the Roman Empire, or in any culture, at any time, is never a good thing. Let's go through briefly some of the things that really undergird this letter, this short letter, to Colossae, most likely. Some estimate that up to 40% of the Roman Empire were slaves when Paul wrote this. It's between 30 and 40. That means 4 out of 10 people had either been born into slavery or captured and had no rights of their own. The Roman writer Juvenal told of a wealthy woman who crucified her slave for no reason given other than she wanted to. Slavery, not only in the Roman Empire, but throughout all time, a stable institution in societies. It really wasn't until 1807 that when William Wilberforce passed the Abolition Act that slavery was questioned as the way to build your empire, to build your nation. In fact, it wasn't, you know, that it wasn't until 1860s, which is 50 years after that. How many of you are 50 here? Not many. <laughs> well, maybe some. But many of us, myself, I'm 32, I haven't lived even 50 years. Right? So that's a long time. What I'm trying to communicate here is that slavery as an institution in societies has been one of the most prevalent ways for building a society. It shaped life the way that sports do in the United States. Sports are so central to us, we couldn't even think of society without them. That's what slavery was to the Roman Empire and to much of the world before 1800s. Sometimes, slaves ran away. Now, there were two things that happened. Two options for a slave, or two ways of running away. The first was, you just hated your situation and you ran away. And if you're caught, you're either flogged, killed, or branded. Maybe all the above, in different orders. With an F for fugitive. So that's one thing that could happen. But another was that a slave would run away to someone, if they had a dispute with their master that their master knew for some sort of reconciliation or some sort of solving of the dispute. What do we, what's the case here? We flat out don't know. We just don't know. It could be either one. And I think we'll see through, through the book of Philemon, there are probably good options and reasons for both. But what do we know? Philemon is a slave owner, and Onesimus is a slave, and Paul wants them to reconcile. My first point today for you is not that. Close your eyes. There we go. It's to let love 
lead you to brokenness. To let love lead you to brokenness. As one of my friends says, when you're writing, you're not listening. So for those of you writing, I will give you a second to write that down. Because I know, I feel like I'd like you to hear what I have to say. Let love lead you to brokenness. See, because of love, because of love, if we look at the text carefully here, starting in verse 4 and going through 16, the first reason that Philemon is supposed to accept Onesimus back, this runaway slave who he could, by Roman law, kill, the first reason is love. From the text, in verses 4 through 7, the first love is a love for Christ. Paul appeals to a love for Christ. Instead of commanding, even it's almost in a sneaky way. He's about ready to say something, and he's like, you remember, Jesus loves you. So whatever I'm going to say after this, you ought to remember that. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, Christ loves you, and you have a love for Christ. And that's where he's going to draw on. So the first thing is that because of love for Christ and because of the love of Christ. Now, in verse 6, we also see that every good thing that is in our experience in the world as believers comes from knowing Jesus Christ. That's pretty clear theology here. And, and it also includes our experience. It's not just knowing what the words of Scripture say. It's living that out. And for Paul, at least in this letter, he seems to think that Philemon has done a pretty decent job of that. He said that he's refreshed the hearts of the saints. He said that he's given glory to Christ in this situation. And so the first reason that Onesimus is to be accepted by Philemon when he returns is love and love for Christ. The second one, if you follow with me, and it's the biggest one in this passage, surprisingly, is love for Paul. It's a love for Paul. It's a delight. It's a delight in the friendship and the fellowship that he has in Paul that's supposed to motivate Philemon to accept this runaway slave. Now, this is kind of a funny part. And I'll tell you why. Let's say you were appealed to someone and you want something really bad, right? Like your kid. It's like, I want that toy really bad. And mommy, if I don't have it, like, I'm going to cry all day. And mommy, if I don't have it, I, I won't be able to, you know, I won't be able to go play with my friends. Isn't that a little bit of what Paul is doing here? He says, look, I'm an old man. Like, wow. Really? You went there? He did. He's appealing to his condition. Not only is an old man, but you get this idea. Now, I don't want to be crass here, but he's given birth. Like, that's a pretty hard process, right? He's given birth. He's tired. And not only that, but he's in chains. He's in chains. Probably chained to a Roman guard, most likely. And so Paul is appealing to Philemon's love for him to accept Onesimus back. He uses this funny term. It's almost as if, in Paul's mind, Philemon should be there and Onesimus should be back in Colossae. Because he says, I've got him and you should be here. (laughs) That idea of substitution. It's like, man, I saved your life. And didn't he? He preached the gospel to him. It seems like Philemon owes his spiritual life in Christ in some earthly sense to Paul. I think that's what he's saying here. And I also want to talk about this for a second. It is difficult to send people that you love away. 
Paul is really agonizing here about sending away Onesimus back to his master. He has been helpful to him. It may be that he would give him food every day because they had to provide for their own food, unlike here in jail. It may be that he ran errands for him. Or we don't, we don't know, but the point is to send Onesimus back for Paul is a sacrifice. We do that as a body. We have sent multiple missionaries out to the field whom we love. We have parted with dear brothers and sisters whom we love for the sake of the gospel. And that is what is going on here. And the third love that is supposed to motivate Philemon to accept Onesimus is, you probably guessed it, love for Onesimus himself. But it's the last one. Because I tell you, there was probably not a whole lot of love beforehand. Right? This is a slave and a slave owner. And the slave previously was not a believer. And so there is some, there's some dispute, right? You don't just run away from your source of food for no reason. And also, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, the end of that, and then the first verse in 4, Paul has to tell that church to treat slaves well and slaves to submit to their masters. I don't know what's going on. Scholars don't know what's going on. But this may be a case in point of what's going on in Colossians. Anyway, the point is that Paul appeals to love for Onesimus on Philemon's behalf to accept him. Onesimus is now a Christian and part of the church. He's now useful instead of useless. Now his name, many of you might know this. What does his name mean? Useful. Onesimus means useful. But he was useless, in some sense, to Philemon. But now he's going back useful. I also want to highlight here an important point, I think, before we move to some theology. This is not a duty-based request. Nowhere does Paul say, in fact, he does the opposite, that he is supposed to accept that man back because he has to. It's supposed to be out of a love-based motive. Not an obligation. Not something he has to do. Because he loves him. And because he loves Paul. And ultimately, because he loves Jesus. See, reality is that Christ fixes broken situations. Christ fixes broken situations. He does this because of love. He came down to save us, to die on a cross because he loved us, to fix our broken lives because he loved us. He poured out his life on the cross as we remembered today in our behalf because he loved us. You know what another cool thing is? He delighted to do that. It wasn't because he had to. It was because he wanted to. That's the kind of God we serve who delights in giving himself to us. Think about it this way. Some biblical stories that help illustrate this point that God delights to put things back together that are broken. What about Joseph? If you ever lived in a broken family, <laughs> that was Joseph. And if anyone ever lived in a broken family, your, your brothers tried to murder you, but then their conscience kind of got a hold of them so they couldn't do that, so they put you down a well. Right? Hoping you would die anyway. Right? Then what happens? Well, they lie to the father. Right? He gets sold into slavery. And his life is a complete broken mess. 
What does God do with that? Tell you what, if you don't know the story, he points Joseph, God, takes Joseph and makes him uh, the second in command of Egypt, and he saves his family through him. He reconciles that situation, and God loves to do things like that. Another case, Daniel. I've been talking with some people about Daniel recently. Daniel's another biblical story that is a whole big hot mess. Israel's in rebellion. Daniel gets taken away. I mean, we, we kind of like, we kind of breeze over this, but have you ever walked like even a hundred miles in chains? I mean, that's Daniel's situation. Broken. Broken and separated. And what does God do in that situation? Same thing as Joseph. Takes him, raises him up, saves the nation in some sense through him, puts him right next to the king. And I actually believe that because of Daniel, we'll probably see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. He reconciles him, the king of the greatest nation on earth, through that man. And how about Psalm 87? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about the enemies of God being counted as people in Jerusalem. That is a beautiful psalm that captures, you can write that down if you're writing, the heart of God's message about reconciliation in the Old Testament. It says in that one, I will count Philistia, entire and Babylon as those who know me. The point is, the enemies of God, because of love, will be saved. Now let's look at the broken things just here. Paul's life. Have we ever considered who this man writing this letter is? Well, he's a murderer. That's the first thing we ought to know. That's not a victorious Paul. That's a murderer. That's a man who persecuted the church. A man who would have come in this church, if we were meeting in Israel, and taken some of you out and stoned you. That's the man who's writing this. This is not a victorious Paul. This is a broken Paul. Not only that, but he's in chains. Not a good situation. Let's not breeze over that. So that's the first thing. Paul is a broken man here. What else is broken? We have this institution of slavery. That's That's a broken system. It counts human people as cattle to be nothing more than monetary possession for someone. That's broken. And the, and, the, and the sad thing is that Philemon is a big part of that. Let's not miss that, huh? Let's not miss the fact that Philemon is part of this, as so is Onesimus. And finally, let's think about the mess of sin that has created this situation. We have a runaway slave, a master who needs him back, and we have someone who has to intervene. I guess what I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you of a very broken situation that love needs to fix. Love needs to lead them to that brokenness in that situation. Now let me ask you now, as we go back to let love lead you to brokenness, do you find yourself in the midst of a broken institution or situation in your life that there seems to be no way out of and no hope that you could ever fix it? I know we've all found ourselves in situations like that. Are you the first picture in there? Are you that broken picture that needs fixing? I know the fact is, I know because I can, I read the Bible and know that we're all depraved. I know we're all that picture at some point in our life. And our hope is in Christ today. 
So I say to you, if you view yourself still right now in that first picture, I say to you, look to Christ. I say, look to Him because the grace He offers is free. It costs you nothing. And that's what you need. You need Jesus, to put it that way. This is not a duty for God to save you out of your brokenness. In fact, He delights in that, brothers and sisters. That is His job in some sense of God. God is a God of the broken. Of those who are hopeless and helpless and need repair. If you're like that first picture... God delights to fix you and change you. Maybe today, the reality is, maybe today, instead of a happy Father's Day, you find yourself separated from your father. Whether heavenly or earthly, maybe that's your situation. Maybe instead you find yourself separated from your son or daughter or family. Christ offers reconciliation in these situations because he loves to do that. Just like he wanted Philemon and Onesimus to unite here. He loves to bring healing to brokenness. Now there are three characters here. And I think we can maybe at least find ourselves in one of them. So maybe you find yourself like Paul. Maybe you feel like God has healed brokenness in your life and you can minister to others. I think then, then God is saying through this letter and through my words today, be an intercessor. Take the effort and be the conduit for reconciliation in a situation that needs your care. Maybe you find yourself more like Onesimus today. Maybe you've run away from someone or something. And you know you need to return. God is calling you to return. And apologize and seek reconciliation. I say to you today, I think God is saying to you today, go back. Go back to that person that you hurt or that you ran away from. Go back. Be reconciled. Or possibly, you find yourself like Philemon. Maybe you're that older brother who really does know the Lord, but you're angry that other people get in the kingdom that are as bad as Onesimus. Maybe you're standing outside and Jesus is saying to you, come in. If that is you today, if you find yourself like Philemon, then hear God saying that he loves it when people reconcile. Be reconciled. Offer forgiveness. Offer restoration to that person who has harmed you or hurt you. Look to Christ. So... My first point is that let love lead you to brokenness. My second point is that we ought to give away our brokenness. I'll explain that. But we ought to give away our brokenness. Let me read you a story. This is a real story, okay? Now, at Wednesday meetings, I was told a story that's similar to this, but I don't know the person, and I don't remember it fully. So let me read you a news article. Listen to this story from 2011. A mother whose only child was shot dead has shown the ultimate forgiveness by inviting her son's killer to live next door. Mary Johnson, 59, now lives in the apartment adjoining the home of 34-year-old Oshia Israel, and they share a porch. In February of 1993, Mrs. Johnson's son, 
Laramiam Bird, 20, was shot in the head by 16-year-old Israel after an argument at a party in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Israel, who was involved with drugs and gangs, was tried as an adult adult, and sentenced to 25 and a half years in prison. He served 17 before being released. He now lives back in the neighborhood where he grew up, next door to the mother of the young man he murdered. Mrs. Johnson said originally she wanted justice and to see Israel locked up forever because of what he'd done. She said, and I quote, My son was gone, I was angry, and I hated this boy. Hated his mother and his father. Murder, the murder, was like a tsunami. Shock, disbelief, hatred, anger, hatred, blame, hatred. I wanted him to be caged up like the animal he was. Then just a few years ago, the 59-year-old teacher and devout Christian asked if she could meet at Israel meet Israel at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. At first he refused, but then nine months later he accepted. And they had many meetings after that. At first he was shocked by this desire of this woman whose son he had murdered to meet with him. And he said this, I believe the first thing she said to me was, Look, you don't know me. I don't know you. Let's just start with that right now. And I was befuddled myself. The pair met regularly after that. When Israel was released from prison after 18 months, after that initial meeting, Mrs. Johnson introduced him to her landlord and invited him, with the landlord's permission, to stay in the apartment next to hers. If that isn't a real-life picture of exactly what Paul is asking those two to do, I don't know what is. See, I think we need to give away our brokenness. I think... In the text, this comes from the phrase, charge it to me. Charge it to me. Charge what to me? That's probably what you're asking. Well, let's see what the text says. First of all, though, this word is very important. It's only used one other time, and that's in Romans 5, in the context of imputation. Or the context of someone taking another person's sin or guilt or debt for themselves. The statement here really means that Paul wants to redeem Onesimus from Philemon. He wants to repay whatever is owed himself. Now see, this is much different than the culture of that day. In those intercessory letters, you remember there were two things that a slave could do, I said, right? One was just run away, but another was run to an intercessor. If that is what Paul is here, then this makes some sense. Because in those intercessory letters, usually there was an appeal to the slave owner to change his behavior, to view the slave differently, but never was there a self-investment in the situation. Never was the man who was the intercessor involved personally. What is Paul doing here? What he's doing is standing in the gap standing in the gap between Philemon and Onesimus saying whatever he did wrong I will take that on myself sure it's money here but let's not miss the in behalf of that famous word right the in behalf of me that the gospel is all about that's what is going on here I really am convinced that Paul is trying to point Philemon back to the gospel here (laughs) saying look You can charge it all to me. And in the text we see some funny things like 
you owe me yourself anyway. You know, like, why would you do that? But he's appealing to that substitution of himself. Paul sees himself as the intercessor, substituting himself for whatever debt is owed. Now, isn't that just like our Lord Jesus Christ? He fixes broken people. And how does he do that? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, and those who don't know the Lord especially, he died in your place. Instead of you dying on a cross, it was him. All the sin, all the wrong things that we have ever done or ever will do, he paid for on the cross. He gave himself up as our intercessor. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for, love for us, and that yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think the operating principle here is 2 Corinthians. This is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what Paul is saying about Philemon. He's a new person because he's believed in the gospel. And then this is crazy. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, in a nutshell, brothers and sisters, is exactly what is going on in Philemon. We now have a ministry of reconciliation. I would say right now to you that if you are not trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, now would be the time to do that. He paid his blood, his body for you. But I would also say to those of us who are sitting here as believers in the efficiency of the blood of Christ for our salvation, that our sanctification is no different. Our walk does not involve ourselves. It is not a duty. It is a delight. And it is based on the same gospel that saves us. See, what I really mean by giving away brokenness is this. Let me give you a personal example. This will probably make you think I'm a dork. Okay? I'm going to just throw it out there. I'm willing to share with you some of my brokenness. Uh, I attended Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. It's an agriculture school, but I went there for architecture. During that time, I dropped out of school. And I'll tell you why I dropped out of school. Because I played video games. Now, I didn't just play video games, brothers and sisters. I really played video games. Like, there was a, there was a feature. I shared this with uh, Derek Baird the other night. There was a feature where you could see how much time you'd spent. And I'm sad to say that in my brokenness, I'd spent one out of every three hours for three years playing that game. It's called EverQuest. Some of you might know. So that means that in three years, I had 365 days of video gaming in three years. That means eight hours a day. That's my brokenness. And how can I give that away? I'll tell you how I can give that away. Is come alongside those who struggle with addiction to video games and say, hey, this will ruin you. Now, I don't know where your area of brokenness is, But that is what I mean by give away your brokenness. Because we all have it. Paul ministered. I think Paul is a good example of this here. He ministered out of a place of knowing what it means to be broken literally and metaphorically, didn't he? How many in here have been stoned? Oh, no one? Okay. I didn't think you would be. Paul was. How many of you here have been in a shipwreck? Now, maybe someone can raise their hand here. Anyone in a shipwreck? 
Okay. No, I saw a hand up there. No? Okay. No? No hand? Okay, I didn't think so. Right? We could go on and on, right? He is ministering. And not only that, but he carries the weight of murdering people with him. And yet here he is, right, in jail, caring more about a slave who has been captured than himself. That is our ministry of reconciliation. It is using our place of brokenness to reach out to others and point them to Christ and say, hey, here is the one you need. Here is the one who delights in fixing your life. The appeal here to us is to be reconcilers, to have a ministry of reconciliation. Don't, in this, in this tricky ministry, don't place yourself in a pecking order above those who you seek to be this ministry of reconciliation, to be a reconciler with. We do that very easily and ever so subtly, don't we? For us at CBC, this pecking order might result in something like this. Would we take someone out to dinner and pay for their meal if they're a sports addict, but refuse then to take someone out who we know is a sex addict to dinner? Do we categorize in that way? How about this one? Would you ignore adultery in someone's life even though you know it and still be friendly with them, but not if they are a homosexual or a convicted felon? These may be some of the ways in which we ever so subtly put our own ranking, like probably Philemon was tempted to do, to treat a slave equally? Come on. That's like against all of my society's rules. You've got to be kidding me, Paul. No, I'm not kidding you. That's what God wants. He entrusted to us a ministry of reconciliation. In the end, let's give away our brokenness. Ought we not to do that? Ought that not be the reason that God has taken us through and healed our broken areas of our life? I think it is. In the end, we understand that Christ is our only hope to fix the broken areas of our life. Finally, I say to you, take joy to others. A man named Elton Trueblood once said, I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. Let me say it again. I don't trust the theology of any person who does not laugh. Brothers and sisters, if we can't laugh about life, we are extremely broken. And I have been at that point. I'm not trying to put some guilt on you. I'm just saying, this is true. If we can't laugh, right? And the point is, we've got to take joy to others. Just like that person right there earlier. You remember that? The person with that little tool that kind of made you maybe dizzy going in and out? was fixing that broken photo. Don't you think that brought joy to the person he fixed the photo for? Don't you think that person was like, wow, this is awesome. And imagine his joy or her joy as they fix it. Now, that's just a photo. Imagine God's joy in heaven when he sees us fixing broken people. When he sees his son making a difference in our lives. The third reason that Philemon was supposed to accept Onesimus back was because he wanted joy. And it wasn't his joy necessarily that he was concerned about. In verse 20, the phrase is best translated, let me have joy. That's the end goal. It isn't a duty. It's a delight. Because God delights 
to save and to fix broken people. I think there would be joy for three people here. I think the first one is Paul. Can you imagine if you were Paul, and two years later, or whatever, you go back to the city, and here is Onesimus, a former slave, and over here is Philemon, his slave master, sitting and eating a meal together at a church? Man, that would bring me joy, and I know it did Paul. I think there's another person who here who would be extremely joyful. Who is that? Onesimus. Let's, let's just be honest. The person with the most to lose in this situation is Onesimus, isn't he? Like, normally, he's thinking, okay, I ran away. Uh, I maybe stole something. Uh, I owe him a lot. Oh, I'm not going back. No, no. He goes back, and imagine if Philemon accepts him back. How? That's like the biggest burden. I mean, can you imagine the burden that's lifted if Philemon does accept him back? forgive him, restore him, add him as a beloved brother. And I think clearly the joy would surely come for Philemon. Now, practically speaking, it seems like there's something going on here that he would actually do his work now. I don't know. (laughs) But it's deeper joy than that. It's deeper joy than that, knowing that this man would forever be with him in heaven. So there are three people in this text, I think, that have joy. Refreshing of the heart, encouragement. Just imagine this for a second before we move on. The first words of Philemon when he goes back have the power to create joy. Like one of my brothers said, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word fitly spoken. You walk into that home, the first words out of that master have the power to do that. Or they have the power to to be like a poison to that situation. When broken people are redeemed and reconciled, Jesus Christ rejoices. How do I know this? The Bible tells me it's true. Jesus smiles when broken people are reconciled. When broken people are redeemed, Jesus smiles. You ever picture that in your mind? How do I know it? Isaiah 61 Luke 15. I don't have a lot of time. I do want to touch on Luke 15. Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal God. It should be prodigal God because that's really what it's about. And the father, what does he do? Against all cultural norms in joy, he runs out to meet the returning son and he is joyful. He is so filled with joy that he can't contain himself and breaks every social norm. And Jesus said, in, in that parable, that's God. That's Jesus. In Matthew eighteen fifteen, it says, When forgiveness and reconciliation occur, we have won our brother. In another place it says, There is much rejoicing in heaven over one person who believes the gospel. Brothers and sisters, God delights in fixing broken people. He takes joy in it. And he takes joy when we come alongside him and do that. I say to you, take joy to others. And in context, the way we take joy to others is to reconcile. If we give up ourselves, one of my brothers said, if we give up on ourselves, give up on others, and give up on God, we become to what we become enslaved to what's left ourselves. Instead of having a self-centered focus, 
we can reconcile with those we have wronged or those who have wronged us, right? We can forgive those who have debts against us. And we can go to people for forgiveness. Joy is had when we speak openly and graciously about our brokenness. When we are willing to admit that we are broken people. Joy is had when we show people Jesus through our mercy. Joy is had fellowshipping with the reconciled of Christ. Joy is had when we get ourselves dirty, fixing photos that look beyond repair. Man, I look across the body today and I see such potential for joy. I see it in your faces, your smiling faces, and I see it in your lives. I know most of you, and I see the love you have for the Lord. I want that joy to overflow in your life. I want you to have joy because others in this body have joy. I would have no greater joy myself than to see broken marriages reconciled and testified to here in this body. I, have, I would have no other joy, and Christ would also have joy if you would reconcile with a son who is estranged. I don't know what it is in your life, but I think God is saying to us through this text to be reconciled with those whom we have hurt or have hurt us, and that will bring joy in our body, that will bring joy in our life, and that will bring joy to our God. So I say to you today, let love lead you to brokenness. Give your brokenness away. And finally, take joy to others. I would like to close prayer, and then we will have Bob come up and sing a song, and you can participate in that. After that song, you're dismissed. Let me give thanks for our reconciling God. Jesus, we know you stood in the gap for us. We know that you stood where no one else could and took our sins on yourself. Because of that, you have entrusted to us a ministry of reconciliation. Lord, help us. We need your help. Give us joy in this. In Jesus' name we pray.